0: And welcome to John Brink's interview series on his new book, Against All Odds. I'm Veronica Beltran, and you and I will sit through the next 10 episodes getting to know all about John, from where he came from to where he's at now and everything in between. All right, John, so today we're talking about your book, Against All Odds odds. Now, I had the opportunity to read it from, you know, the start to the very, very finish. And I must say, like, I was really inspired by it. Um, But I would love to know, like, what, what inspired you to sit down, take the time to write, to write a book about your entire life?
1: Yeah, I actually been thinking about it for a long time, probably more than 20 years, maybe even longer than that. And at times made an attempt to kind of lay down what my experiences were, uh, you know, from the time that I came to Canada in 1965. And uh, and then I started and then I stopped and then I started, stopped again. And then as life went on and it became more interesting, mm-hmm. on and on again, I became a bit more serious about it. At one point, I hired somebody to help me with how the process worked. And, uh, and then finally, after all this time, uh, two years ago, I engaged another company, uh, that uh, Echo Storytelling out of Vancouver actually, who did a very good job for us, uh, helping with the whole structure around it, because it's complicated writing a book, not just the writing, but everything around it. Mm -hmm. So then uh, engage them, and then uh, two years later, we have a finished product.
0: Julia, look at that. Now, now you're saying it was like a, it was a stop and go progress, right? Uh, Creating this book. Why did it take you I guess so long to write it or 30 years to finally talk about it?
1: It took me so long for a number of reasons some of them we will talk a bit later about but uh, uh, you know the other things took over where I became busy or all of a sudden I lost the inspiration to do that at that particular point and then kind of stop. It, it's quite an amazing process to, uh, you know, be deeply engaged in it and do it in such a way that it's just not a story, but it is more like an interesting story to others. You know?
0: When you're going through, um, through your book, you know, when I went through your book, there's a lot of ups and a lot of downs. Was it hard to write about what you wrote, your, your life?
1: it was hard about uh, that uh, uh veronica and in, in terms of uh you know the uh, th- there have been some really trying times as you know from the uh, from the book and uh, uh yeah it was uh, difficult sometimes in a way but on the other hand to me it was extremely important to write about not just the good time but also about the challenges that came along the way and uh you know it's not just a biography that tells me from the time that it started to where it it came to and and uh, but to include all the things that were challenges and I'm sure we'll get into some of those as we go further into our interviews. Uh, so uh, yeah, I I'm happy about that. I did it and that I included everything uh, that happened along the way.
0: Now I guess you said you know you had to share the good times and and you wanted to share the bad times as well, which I guess is like there's a sense of vulnerability there. Was that hard for you to get over? Like, oh my gosh, people are gonna read this, you know?
1: Yeah, in a, in a way, yes, I- indeed, you know? So not, not after the 20 years that I had been working on it and, and, and contemplating some of these things, as I became older, you know and uh, i just turned 80 actually about a couple of weeks ago and uh, oh. you know so uh, uh,
0: belated. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you know some of those things to me uh, are even more important now in terms of not so much of talking about me but about others that maybe deal with some issues that i had to deal with that have some stigma attached to it maybe or uh, you know showing that You know, you can fall down, then rise again and all those things. So it became, in fact, something that I had an obligation to do, to write about.
0: Now, seeing you, you you went through all those struggles, but now you have like this empire and this legacy that you Mm. will leave behind. Um, What is it that you hope people take away from from reading your book?
1: Very interesting question, What what I believe, what I'm hoping they will take from it is that, as, as the title says, against all odds, that no matter how tough it gets, you know, uh, you stay the course and you will succeed, you know.
0: Perfect. I like that. Yeah. Well, that's what I was inspired to do after I read it, too. I was like, I can do anything. Anything. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Okay. without giving too much away, what are some of the highlights people can expect from this book?
1: Some of the highlights uh, they can show that, uh, you know, that uh, uh, will be one. And and in fact, the next book that we're going to write is about that particular topic is I'm a classic ADHD you know, and and, uh, uh, that is well described in the book. And uh, uh, and it's a topic that to a lot of people and and young people, and even some older people uh, have stigma still now attached to it. In fact, I met an individual on Saturday that is extremely successful, uh, you know, and, and has good businesses. The person is 52 years old. That is just on Saturday. That as we were sitting there talking about a project he's doing for me and uh, the low uh, in uh, on Vancouver Island, uh, he he opened up about uh, ADHD, and he is still struggling with that today, in terms of the stigma and and other things around it. And uh, so it, uh, to me it was uh, uh, quite an experience to talk to him about it. And he saw he sent me an email actually on Monday and and said. Uh, You know, but he got out of it was something that he was still struggling with and he enjoyed talking to me about what I had gone through about it and how I feel about it, Uh, you know, and and what I talk about a little bit more likely or whenever you wish uh, is that, in fact, uh, it's not a liability, it's an asset, you know, so uh, and, and, you know, so that type of thing. So that are some of the things and then... uh, you know starting from the bottom up where you uh, land in a country like Canada you don't you can't speak the language you don't have a job mm-hmm. and you don't know a soul right yeah. so and uh, you know so those were uh, a dream come true on the one side and on the other hand uh, you know okay where do you go now you know so
0: right no exactly and yeah. you're not originally from from Canada as well and you touch on that throughout your book you actually experienced a little bit of uh, of the war the second world war um,
1: I was born in 1940 at the beginning of the war. And then, uh, you know, we were liberated in the hometown where I'm from in Northern Holland uh, on April the 12th, 1945. And I pretty much remember a lot about the time that I was three and a half, four years old and five years old. So, and we talk about that in the book as well.
0: Yeah, you, you know. definitely do. And definitely a good read. I think I was on maybe I'm the sixth page Third page, even I think it was, was pretty early on, and I was like in tears, you know, some of the things that you, you saw and you went yeah. through.
1: PTSD, you know, so yeah.
0: For yeah. sure. And that's something but, that.
1: Very real. You know, so, oh,
0: for sure. That's yeah. something that you still continue to. To a certain extent,
1: with? yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, the PTSD is very much part of that, yeah. For but sure. but it, it is something different than ADHD. ADHD. Uh, and I can talk about it quite a bit, but I won't do it at this particular moment, but it's something that you are likely, and I don't use the right technolo- uh, terminology likely, but that you have as you were born. And then from then, other people may say not so, but once you have it, it's not something that you can kind of medically take away or, or have counseling and then fix it. No, it's that's you, you're an ADHD person in my belief. PTSD is because of trauma of some sort or another, and 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 uh, counseling has a bit of stigma to it as well because tough guys don't go to mm-hmm. counselors, right? So right. I, I I I don't believe in that. I believe in counseling, and uh, it certainly helped me. You know, so
0: for sure, for sure. So we go through. You go through so much in your book. Like it was honestly, like it's it's just it, it left me in awe seeing you know, you, you, survived, well, you, you, you survived the war because you had a near-death experience, which we won't talk about right now, but we'll get to when yeah. we do talk about chapter one. And you had several near-death experiences throughout yeah, the entire book. I, I was like, oh my gosh, like, yeah. you know, you, you survived, you made it, yeah. and now you're here today. So um, this really is an, a super inspiring book. And, and I have to say, I, because I was so, I was left so inspired by it. Will you be producing more books in the future?
1: Yes, I will. Yeah, I intend to write one, one book per year from here on in. In fact, we already are working towards, uh, you know, the, the next book. We know what it uh, will be about. It will be about living and experiencing HDAD and, and uh, dealing with people in your family that happen and all things around it. That uh, will be the next book.
0: Lastly, I wanted to touch a little bit because I thought this was quite interesting. You just said that you turned 80 years old, but you also mentioned in your book, uh, you don't have to go too much in in depth about this, but uh, you mentioned bodybuilding and competitions. And I think that that was just such an extraordinary part because it's totally different from all the things that you did do throughout your book. And, you know, talk a little bit about that. Uh,
1: Probably something that, you know. I didn't live as clean as I could have do up to about 2008, meaning that uh, I didn't eat as healthy as I could have, and my wife is very uh, healthy oriented, and uh, you know, and I didn't, I, I was not abusive, but uh, I was not healthy. You <laughs> yes. Know? So, uh, and uh, then. Uh, I got, uh, you know, uh, a case of uh, diverticulitis, Uh, you know, that uh, is where your large uh, uh, colon uh, ruptures and and toxins fill in your, and very dangerous, uh, you know, you you have about 48 hours before it starts attacking your organs, organs. and uh, so uh, I came about that close to uh, not making. So that uh, I think in about three or four weeks, I lost about 30 pounds, (laughs) you know, and, uh, you know, and then, uh, you know, that kind of motivated me to go to the gym in earnest, you know, like we all have gone, I'm going to go to the gym and we (laughs) buy a membership and we go a couple of times and then we don't. So then I did in earnest. And then from there and then I started working with the trainer. And then from there and then we'll talk about it more later. Likely, it came to the point that somebody said, uh, hey, you ever thought about going uh, in competition said me? You know, we have people you know, people start recognizing you're changing and you're saying, you look pretty good. You know, some of the people around the gym and, and then the next thing you look in and you start flexing a little bit and you say, <laughs> well, you know, and then all of a sudden you become more serious about it mm-hmm. and I I engaged a good trainer and, uh, you know, before you know it, I was, uh, uh, we have uh, an annual competition here, the Iron Ore and, uh, you know, the... Uh, so I, I signed up for that and uh, quite intimidating, you know because then I'm standing in my little speedos in front of all the all the people that I know and flexing and all of that. So I got through that and then, I came in second on bodybuilding, third in physique. That qualified me for the provincials, and I came in the other way around, third in uh, bodybuilding, second in physique, and that qualified me for the nationals and the Arnold's. You know, so mm-hmm. it made and so I, at that time I think I was 78. You know, so it made me pretty much the oldest bodybuilder. Hi. A competitive bodybuilder in uh, British Columbia
0: and are you planning on competing again
1: that's interesting that you asked me that <laughs> because uh, you know I was at Gold's today uh-huh. and I signed up again for uh, you know going back into training which I probably will start next weekend I intend to compete again uh, if not in 21 then in 22 you know which will make me the year that I turn 82 oh, wow. and and uh, I want to again qualify for the nationals
0: Wow. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm sure you will do it. I believe in you. You can do anything. You know, you've been through so much. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to say that I, that I haven't asked you?
1: No. You know, the, uh, you know the, m- m- my foundation is what I believe in deeply is an attitude, passion, work ethic. Combine those three, success will follow. And, and so, uh, what I do is uh, I usually get up early at 5.30 every morning, and uh, I get up. When I get up, I think I'm late already. <laughs> so I'm always in a hurry, because uh, you know, and that has been that way since I was virtually a kid. And, uh, you know, and then I always make my bed. I always make my bed. The reason that I do that is because it gives me a good feeling uh, before I walk out of bed, and I look back to my bed, it's all night. If it is not quite right, I was also in the in the air force. <laughs> and you bet. It's very really important that it is all. Right. So I straighten out, just make sure it's all good. And then uh, in the evening, when I come home, usually uh, you know around seven o'clock or whatever, I'm usually at work for uh, at least twelve hours a, a day. And uh, you know then, uh, you know, I watch a little bit of news and then uh, get something to eat and then from there and, then, and you know and go to bed and get ready for you know, in this beautiful made up bed and go to sleep. You know, so that's why I do it makes me feel good yeah, for so. sure
0: yeah. agreed agreed and you just said 12 hour days right it hasn't changed one bit for you you know you're still you're still spending lots of time at work just like you did when you first started right
1: and when i first started i stayed at work as long as i could stay awake yeah. you know at least 100 120 hours a week yeah seven days a week yeah
0: but that's what it takes right
1: that whatever it takes that's what it uh, it's it's sometimes uh, you know, people think that entrepreneurs that appear to be successful, you know, that their pre, pri, primary uh, preoccupation is planning holidays and bringing money to the bank. It isn't. On the other hand, if you do it well and you're willing to make the commitments and your family know what are are with you, then the rewards can be very rewarding. But uh, you know, the it it uh, it is demanding, and uh, you know, the uh, you have to have the, the mentality for it, you know, Mm -hmm. because it can involve uh, falling down, standing up, falling on and it can be very taxing on the family from time to time.
0: Of course, which actually brings me to a follow up question here. Uh, You do talk about throughout your book. You know, we have like your family pops up here and there. Right. Um, Talk a little bit about uh, the struggles that you face throughout this book, throughout your life with your family.
1: Yeah, obviously they are very important to me, and uh, you know the. Uh, in my, I have two daughters, and they are uh, married to very good, uh, you know, uh, men. Or uh, you know, and I've known them for a long time, and so they are very good. Uh, uh, one of uh, my oldest daughter, uh, Nicole, she's an architect, and uh, but very active in uh, in her family life right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, and then her husband, Ian, Ian argue, uh, you know, he's a. Uh, CFA very highly qualified uh, has been an internet and worked internationally he's an incoming CEO to the company uh, in in time and then my younger daughter uh, uh, Tina uh, they have both a, a boy girl uh, you know the uh, all below ten years old uh, uh, she is uh, a teacher has a master's in education she's uh, married to Cooper mares who uh, He's a pilot, you know, that's not very good right now. <laughs> Obviously, he's a, he, flew, he was flying uh, uh, 737s for West yet, so, but I'm proud of all of them. Yeah, good, so. Good. Yeah.
0: But uh, my question hold on, let me just rephrase. Um, um, can you talk a little bit about the struggles you faced with your family during your life, you know, trying to balance work and, and family? I'm sure, you know, pulling 14, 16 hour days probably had. A little bit of an impact.
1: Yeah, well, there's no question about it. Uh, I was married. Uh, you know, the uh, the first time I was married uh, in Watson Lake, Yukon. Can you believe it? Uh, you know, the uh, the justice of the peace. It cost five dollars, and it took twenty minutes. And then I had a motel and a, and a bar, and uh, you know, and then uh, you know, within fifteen minutes or so, uh, we were married and paid the five dollars to the justice of the peace, and I was back at work. And uh, <laughs> Eve, my first wife, uh, we we separated in 1983, but uh, still have a good relationship. But uh, you know, the uh, it was extremely demanding on on the family. Yeah,
0: for sure, no doubt about it. And lastly, I just want to touch on. Um you know, going back to what we said before about some of the hardships, you know, the good times and the bad times, there was a period there in your life where it just kind of seemed all bad, at least from what I was reading, you know, with um, uh, the lawsuit, with the fraud in the forestry industry. Talk a little bit about that. Not too in depth, but. No, no, (laughs) yeah. It was one of
1: those things that happened, uh, Veronica, where you, sometimes what happens is that circumstances, occur that all of a sudden you become knowledgeable about something that is not right. And that's what started the fraud around the the, the lawsuit. It was here locally. The grading rule deals with lumber. Lumber that is manufactured is sorted into different grades. Mm -hmm. The high grades are used in structures like this and must meet certain criteria of strength and uh, you know and I found out that and that's all very very much controlled by government agency and other agencies that make sure that it meets the quality standards Mm -hmm. and but I found out on August the 5th 1986 at 10 o'clock in the morning I can still stand there was in the foot I've been in the industry my whole life, even uh, since 1965 here, but before that even in Holland, when I was 14, 15 years old, I started working in a lumber manufacturing plant or furniture plant initially. But in any event, I found out that there are in existence two sets of rules. The one far less restrictive than the other. Mm -hmm. If the quality standard is here, that one was much lower. Right and it was secret and confidential. I thought it was not right. Mm -hmm. Neither Mm -hmm. did other people, but everybody was scared to say something about it.
0: Right, but you did, right? I
1: did. And I had, I thought it was regional, local. And then I thought it was regional. Mm -hmm. Then I found out, then I thought it was N B C. And then I thought it was Canada. It was a practice that had gone on for nearly 20 years in North America, from Florida to California, from Labrador to Alaska, and made multi-millions, if not billions of dollars. And I litigated that uh, uh, in, in the Supreme Court for 60 days. Yeah. I was boycotted where I could get no more raw material and uh, you know, lost virtually everything that I had. I only had one lawyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were probably 14 lawyers on the other side. Right. And the reason that it is, I say 14 lawyers, there were probably three or four that were working on the case, but because it involved so many other jurisdictions, mm-hmm. they became interveners that had a vested interest in the outcome of the lawsuit. Right. And, uh, but I had one lawyer and then, uh, I had never been in a courtroom in my life, never, ever. And, uh, being in cross-examination for, Uh, You know seven days by the best lawyers that money can buy and uh, You know so but I won the lawsuit and it changed all the grading rules in North America Mm -hmm. But in the meantime what happens around lawsuits like that where there's so much at stake multi-billion dollars at stake uh, you know I uh, had a period of six arsons that you know a couple of pieces of equipment my sawmill that I had an attempt on my uh uh, dry kilns and then an an attempt on my house you know so (sighs)
0: well it takes a strong person to be able to you know handle all of that for sure Uh,
1: uh, 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 obviously what was happening and i'm not pointing fingers at anybody who did it but if you have these last massive cases massive cases then there are sympathizers in some form or fashion that want to help whatever Others are for whatever reason Mm -hmm. and uh, you know and and, uh, it was fairly obvious that it was critically important to break down John Brink and his resistance uh, you know and uh, uh, you know they, they came close several times you know so.
0: But you, you did make a change and that's really what this book is all about. You know, although we do see those really low, low points in your life, we also see those beautiful, beautiful highs and we see sure. how well you're doing now, right? Uh, so I look forward to chatting with you a little bit more about your book, Chapter One, in our uh, next episode here.
1: Thank so. you.